I invite you to turn with me tonight to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah, of course, is known as the Bible in miniature. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah, just like there's 66 chapters in the Bible. Also, the book of Isaiah is divided into two parts. First part is 39 chapters, and the second part has got 27 chapters. And of course, that corresponds to our Old and New Testament, just exactly. And um, the 40th chapter opens with a word of comfort. And uh, what, what more comfort could there be in the news of the Messiah's birth uh, coming into the world when we think of a corresponding chapter like uh, Matthew 1. Uh, and in the heart of that um, second section, uh, we come to Isaiah 53. And um, we're, we're going to read it together. I can recall, I think, if my memory's right, uh, years ago preaching on uh, verses 5 and I think a few years back preached on the verse 6. We may have all also did a 12 sermon study on the book at one time uh, but tonight we're going to turn to it again and we see what the Lord has to say to us. Let's read God's word together. Reading of course from the authorized version. Who hath believed our report. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see if the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading from the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 53 and the verse 5. It reads as follows But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And my theme tonight is to consider the great doctrine of Christ's substitution and penal sufferings. Now, there's no doubt that Isaiah 53 represents one of the greatest prophetic utterances of all Old Testament literature. The great Puritan Thomas Manton said this portion of God's word should be called the gospel of Isaiah rather than the prophecy of Isaiah. This chapter set in the heart of Isaiah's prophecy is about as clear a presentation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as anywhere in the rest of the Bible. Having read and reread the chapter, it's actually hard to believe that it was written 700 years before the New Testament ever came about. Isaiah 53, remember, was written long before the Lord Jesus was born into this world and manifest in the likeness of sinful flesh. This precious portion of God's word teaches us about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His unique life is here. His vicarious death is taught here. His, his wonderful work and redemption is flagged up in this portion. His glorious resurrection from the dead. His work of intercession in heaven. You see, these are all subjects that are taught within this inspired chapter. And each one of these aspects of the person and work of Christ, well, they are really worthy of an individual study. And they would deserve at least one sermon on each theme. Now, tonight, I just want to focus on one text. And I've already given it to you, Isaiah 53 and 5. And it teaches us about the doctrine of Christ's substitutionary work. Now, this text is like a simple signpost on the road to heaven. This signpost stands like a divinely inspired signpost. It's a text that's well known, a text that's often quoted, a text that contains a great treasure trove of spiritual truth and information, a text, in fact, that's emblazed on the window of the left-hand side or my left-hand side of the church. And it's there deliberately to remind us of the great doctrine of Christ's substitutionary work and penal sufferings. Now, you're familiar, I believe, with the doctrine of substitution. Some of you, perhaps, are watching the World Cup 
I, I'm not, by the way, because I, I, I'm not a football fan or football fanatic, but perhaps you are. You're familiar with the term super sub. You think of a team playing and one player for a time is sitting on the bench, say for the first 60 or 70 minutes. The players in the field are getting tired and weary. The game seems to be tough and uh, they need to get back into the game. And what does the uh, manager do? Well, well, he calls in the super sub uh, to be sent in. And he comes in to inspire confidence in the team, to, to spur them on. And, and he strives to get that much-needed goal or much-needed goals. Now, of course, I've already told you I'm not a football fanatic. I don't support any team. But I do remember years ago reading about a man called David Fairclough. I trust I've got his name right. Now, he was nicknamed the Liverpudlian Super Sub because he was also brought on at 60 or 70 minutes into a game and he was brought in to inspire his fellow players. In fact, it's said that when he stood up to come on to the field, it struck fear into the opposing team. And David Fairclough was usually the one that ended up scoring the goal to win the match for, for Liverpool. I want to tell you tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest super sub of all time. The Lord Jesus is the greatest super substitute of all time. Because on the cross, he took the place of sinners. On the cross, he died in their behalf. Bearing their guilt and punishment that they might be saved. See, one of the big questions often asked today is this. Why did the Lord Jesus die on the cross? What was the reason? Now, if you look at our text, I want you to notice the first word. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Underline the word but. It's a, it's a small word. The buts of the Bible are important. And it's used to form a contrast uh, with verse 4 linking into verse 5. Think of the end of verse 4. What did the prophet say? Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. See, the prophet's lamenting the attitude of the people towards Christ and the gospel. And what's the people saying? What are they thinking? Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, the people were saying, well, he deserved to die. God was punishing him. God was judging him for some evil. Did he not claim to be the king of the Jews? Did he not claim to be the son of God? Did he not take the name of God on his lips and, and, and blaspheme? In other words, he deserved to die for his claims and for his teaching. But here's the inspired prophet. Guided by the Holy Ghost. And what does he say? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. See the Holy Spirit speaking. And he's making an important announcement. And he's saying to the people. But your attitude must change. Because Jesus Christ is the most important person in the whole of the world. And Jesus Christ has performed the most important work in the whole of the world. And Jesus Christ offers the most important gift in the whole of the world. The gift of life. And the gift of peace with God. And I ask tonight, 
Do you know him? Is he your Lord and Redeemer? Have you discovered that Jesus Christ is of great value? That he's the most important person that you could ever meet in life's journey? We're thinking tonight of the great doctrine of Christ's substitution and penal sufferings. Notice three things in the text. The necessity of this substitution. It says in the text, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Underline the word, our transgressions. Now, of all the days in all of the history of time, there was no day like the day of the cross. Listen to what Jeremiah said. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Think of the words, the day of his fierce anger. You see, on the cross, the fierce anger and wrath of Almighty God never burned upon this earth as it burned in a concentrated form on that terrible day. And the object of that wrath, the the object of that indescribable anger of God was the sinless, spotless, stainless, harmless Son of God, Son of Mary, Son of Man. Why? What was the reason? And here's the answer. It's in our text. Our transgressions. See, that refers to our behavior. That's a reference to what we do. Remember what sin is. The catechism said sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and 5 that sin is the transgression of the law. Not merely the law of the land, Wearing a seatbelt, speeding, using a mobile phone while driving, drink driving, driving without tax or insurance. We realize that that's all a transgression of the law of the land. But we're not measured against the law of the land. We're measured up against God's holy law, the Ten Commandments. And of course, that's why we have the Ten Commandments displayed on the Entrance porch as you come into the worship area. You see, the reality is that all men and women and young people, when measured against God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, are found guilty of breaking them in thought and in word and deed. Because there's not only a literal aspect to the law, but there's a spiritual application of the law. And the mindset is of rebellion against that law who is the Lord that I should obey him remember Romans 3 and 23 for all have sinned that come short of the glory of God and when did all sin we sinned in Adam and in Adam we not only inherited the guilt of his first transgression and the guilt of every other um, transgression that we were um, uh, found guilty of but we inherited from Adam a heart that loves sin a heart that loves iniquity. Listen to what the prophet says in Isaiah, or, or in Psalm 51, and in the verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, in verse 8, he says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. 
a heart that rebels against God's holy commandments. If you look again at our text, there's another indication of the necessity of this substitution. He was bruised for our iniquities. Underline the word our iniquities. This has to do with what we are by nature. We're born with a heart that loves sin. A heart that's perverse and vile, naturally speaking. In other words, we're born with an inbuilt bias and a nature that goes against God. That's why Jeremiah could say the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Let me illustrate that. Maybe some of you here play bowls. I don't play bowls. The only bowl I know is the bowl for the cornflakes or the porridge. But there's a side of the bowl that's heavier than others. And I'm told it's the bit with the smaller circle. That's where the bias is. And you keep that to the inside so that that can roll toward the jack. Now, now a, a bowl, um, to play a game of bowls, is not a normal ball. It's only going to go in one direction. There, there's going to be a, a bias in that bowl. There's going to be a pulling away. And, and that's the way we're born. We're born with a bias from God. We, we go astray, the Bible says, as soon as we're born. Uh, uh, and we go that way by nature. In 2 Peter 2.22, the, the prophet there uh, and the apostle refers to the dogs going back to their vomit. That's the way dogs are made, by instinct and nature. There's a reference to the pig when it's washed. What does it do? Well, it just goes back and wallows in the mire once again. In other words, it's in her nature to do that. And we remain that way until the Lord steps in, until the Lord changes and transforms us, until the Lord gives us a new heart, until we're born of the Spirit, until the Lord opens our eyes and lets us see our sin for what it is and opens our ears to hear his voice. And, and, and um, until the Lord washes us by faith in the precious blood of Christ and draws us to himself and tells us, thou art mine. Notice also here you've got the words, the chastisement of our peace. What does that mean? The word chastisement means the punishment or the correction. The punishment that fell in Christ was for the purpose of propitiation. The justice of God fell in Christ. It was a propitiatory sacrifice that was appeasing God's wrath against sin. The punishment of our sin was inflicted upon him whereby his peace and reconciliation with God was made by him. So his divine wrath is appeased, his justice is satisfied, therefore peace with God is secured. Do you have peace with God tonight? Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know the peace of God? If you know peace with God, you can know the peace of God. What about peace in the midst of the storms of life? Peace in face of difficult circumstances. Maybe you're facing bereavement like these families that I've mentioned. Maybe there's problems in the home. Financial difficulties and you're worried and you're anxious and, and you're, you're fearful and you're wondering what's going to happen about the future. What I'm saying to you tonight is 
If you have peace with God, then you also as a Christian can know the peace of God that's going to secure and help you through all the storms of life. This word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And if you go to the land of Israel or you meet a Jew in Belfast and he says shalom, he's not just saying hello to you. Now, now we say hello and, and, and that's, that, that's important, but, but he'll say shalom. He's not just saying hello to you. I'll, I'll tell you what he's saying. The word shalom is, it, it does mean peace, but it, it means be safe, be certain, enjoy life to the full. You see, when the Jew says shalom, he's thinking about your well-being. He wants you to be safe. And what, what safer knowledge could you have than preparing to meet God? He, he wants you to be certain that, that you're going to meet him. And you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He wants you to enjoy life to the full, the life of God. The hymn writer said, I hear the words of love. I gaze upon the blood, I see the mighty sacrifice, and I have peace with God. Tis everlasting peace, sure as Jehovah's name, tis stable as his steadfast throne, forevermore the same. There's the necessity of this substitution. Now, now think with me very quickly and carefully of the nature of this substitution. Look again at our text. What does it say? But he was wounded. Do, do, you, do you see that? He was bruised. The chastisement, meaning the punishment. You see, Isaiah here, the prophet by the Holy Ghost, is taking us to the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is all about the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ died in the tree and shed his precious blood there. Why? Because of our iniquities. Because of our transgressions. Because... That he was made to be the punishment of our peace. See, he didn't come into the world to set a good example. He didn't come in to preach nice little sermons like the Sermon on the Mount. It's not what the modernists and the ecumenists tell us and the liberals. He didn't just come and set forth a, a, a moral code of ethics for men to live by and say, do this and, and thou shalt live. No, the Lord Jesus came as a substitute. Remember, he's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And of course, we cannot and dare not take the blood out of the gospel because then we don't have a message. And let the enemy sneer. Let them laugh and mock. Let them talk about slaughterhouse religion. Let them talk about the gospel of the, the butcher's shop. All their mocking and sneering is contrary to the Bible because the Bible tells us but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I want you to think of the fact that he was wounded. And we're going to think for a little moment in closing about the wounds of Christ. To turn in your Bible there to Luke 22, verse 64. I'll just go through them very quickly. Luke 22 and verse 64. And here's the first wound. If we had Dr. Lindsay Wilson in the pulpit as a medical doctor, he would talk about five wounds. And here's the first one. It's contrusion. Luke 22 and 64. And what does it say there? And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Do you understand that? 
Do you know what that means? They put a blindfold on the Lord Jesus. And one of the soldiers, those big burly soldiers, he took his clenched fist and went up to Christ and he punched the Savior on the face. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And you take one burly soldier after another and they're coming and they're fisting Christ in the face. And it's brutal. You think of the contrusions on his face. Over there in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 27 and in the verse 30, remember we read about him being smote in the head with a reed. Matthew 27 and 30, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. See, the soldiers, remember, dressed up Christ and they mocked him. Heal, king of the Jews. And part of that mockery was that they spat on his face and smote him on the head with the reed. That was contrusion. Then think also about laceration. Turn over there to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 15 and verse 15. This is where they scourged the Lord Jesus. And so Pilate, willing to contend the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Think of the words, when he had scourged him. Do, do you know what that means, young people? That, that means that they had a whip. And it was like a cat of nine tails. And it had a, 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 a sort of a, a wooden handle and leather straps protruding out of it with little bits of metal and little bits of bone attached to it. And, and what they did was they would have tied him to a post and he was facing the post and his back would have been exposed and they had no mercy upon him and they lashed him till the flesh was torn. The psalmist said in Psalm 129 verse 3, the pliers plowed in my back. Fearsome laceration. In other words, they left it running red like a ploughed field. He said, I give my back to the smiters. Here's another wound, the wound of penetration. Think about the thorns. Turn over there to John's gospel. John 19 and in the verse 2. And I want you to think when you think about the thorns, not about the little thorns in our gardens, I don't do much gardening, but I usually get a little thorn when I do, and it's very painful, and Rosie has to take it out, and I'm almost in tears. But, but you think of this, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put in him a purple robe. These were Jerusalem thorns. These are anything from one inch to five inches long. And can you, can you see the grin in their face and the smirk as they make the crown of thorns? We're going to teach this boy a lesson. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. We'll give him a crown. He claimed to be the son of God. Aye, we'll see who he is. And they pressed that on his head. You think of the blood spurting out and running down his face. And we sang there tonight, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. If you went into a Roman Catholic chapel, of course, Maybe other places you might see a crucifix. And as you look very closely, the, the image of Christ and the crucifix has got a crown of thorns. But he's got no crown of thorns now. The crown of thorns is gone. It's been removed. 
It's a crown of glory now. Because he suffered once for sin. He offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin. There's the wound of penetration. Think of the wound of perforation. Look at John 19 verse 37. And and it says there. And again another scripture saith they shall look on him whom they have pierced. Didn't they nail his hands and feet to the tree? Doesn't the Bible say they shall look on him whom they have fierce? Quoting Isaiah's prophecy in verse 12. There's, there's mourning over sin. And one final wound, the wound of incision. John 19 and verse 34. And it says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. The Lord Jesus was truly dead. And that's only his physical sufferings. And who can enter into that? We could talk tonight about his spiritual suffering. Remember in the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you think tonight of the sorrow of a child. If a child is a special toy and it gets broken, the tears will flow. You think of a man standing at a graveside and maybe the casket's been lowered in and that's his darling wife. That's the mother of his children and he's heartbroken. But surely the greatest sorrow of all is the sorrow of God, the son on the tree, when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember what Isaiah The prophet said, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I want you to think in closing of the news of this substitution. By his stripes are you healed. Do you know the Lord Jesus went willingly to the cross? He wasn't dragged, kicking and screaming. He went voluntarily. He went freely. He he went joyfully. The Bible tells us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And why did he endure the cross? So that the worst of sins could be blotted out. So that the most vilest acts of transgression could be forgiven. So that the darkest stains of your rebellion against God could be purged. And the most gaping wound of your iniquity, glory to God, can be healed. Do you know there's cleansing for your soul tonight? Do you know that there's forgiveness for every sin of thought and word and deed? Do you know that there's healing for you spiritually at the feet of the cross? And it's all found through the bleeding lamb of Calvary. When you think of Calvary, think of the person. Think of the pain. Think of the power. By his stripes, you're healed. Tonight as we close the meeting I want you to realise we're on a journey You're on a journey and I'm on a journey It's called the journey of life You're started in the day of your were born It'll end in the day of your death When will the day of your death be? No one knows The Bible says boast not thyself of tomorrow For no man knoweth what a day may bring forth The Bible tells us sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof The Bible tells us behold now is the accepted time Now is the day of salvation And as you journey through life At some point in life You're brought to passing by the cross. And there's a call comes out. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? 
And I want to ask tonight, is the suffering of God, the sun and the tree, nothing to you? Do you know anything of the meaning of a sorrow, the meaning of a sacrifice, the meaning of a suffering? What's your response? As he suffered the fierce anger and the wrath of God and was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I bring you to the cross again tonight. You're brought every time you're in a gospel meeting. You're brought every time someone tries to speak to you about your soul. You're brought every time somebody offers you a track. You're brought every time you lift a track, even on the, 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 the doorstep. And maybe you, you rubbish it and put it in the bin. That's God bringing you to the cross. Teaching you about your sin and your need of a saviour. There has to be news. By his stripes are you healed. You can be healed tonight. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be blotted out. If you'll come and bow the knee in repentance. If you'll come and receive Christ to be your Lord and Saviour. Will you come tonight? Have you trusted him? Do you know anything of this good news? Remember what the people said? He deserved to die. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And the prophet says, no, we didn't. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our iniquities. The punishment of our peace, it was all upon him. And with his stripes, we can be spiritually healed and brought into our right relationship with God himself. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to you this evening. Thank you for coming. I appreciate your patience.